As we consider uh, thinking through the Psalms and worship and prayer, I would like to bring a message um, about the Psalms and the use of the Psalms, but from the narrative of the Scripture. And I'm going to ask uh, that you listen to the 17th chapter as I read portions of that, and then the text, which I'll seat you for, that we'll just work through in a story form, will be a few chapters later. 2 Corinthians 17, verses 3, hear the word of God. Now the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the former ways of his father David. He did not seek the Baals, but sought the God of his father and walked in his commandments and not according to the acts of Israel. Therefore the Lord established the kingdom in his hand and all Judah gave presents to Jehoshaphat and he had riches and honor in abundance And his heart took delight in the ways of the Lord. Moreover, he removed the high places and the wooden images from Judah. Skipping down to verse 10. And the fear of the Lord fell on all the kingdoms of the land that were around Judah, so they did not make war against Jehoshaphat. Also some of the Philistines brought Jehoshaphat presents and silver as tribute. And the Arabians brought him flocks, 7,000. 700 rams, 7,700 male goats. So Jehoshaphat became increasingly powerful, and he built fortresses and storage cities in Judah. Our gracious Father, we ask that you would take this old narrative and bring it into our experience as we find that we are now actors in the extended narrative in the place that we live, in the lives that we live, with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that our warfare is not against flesh and blood, and never has it ever been, but against the spiritual realm of the principalities and powers that wage against the people of God. And yet now in the victorious ascension, the resurrection and ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is reigning over all things, we, as His body and inseparable to Him, do go forth in the power of the Spirit, and we claim the victory that is His. So we pray that you would apply this message to this church corporately, to our lives individually, and pray the Spirit would move us in the grandeur of what this is about. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. As we see from this text that God was with Jehoshaphat, making him a very powerful and potent king. And the fear of all of the kingdoms around fell upon the land, and the Philistines even brought him gifts. Others recognized that something was going on in Israel because God was with Jehoshaphat. He became increasingly powerful. And then in the text of chapter 20, which is where we'll really be spending our time this morning, I want us to consider uh, a narrative of one of the greatest battles in the history of the world. As we consider wrapping up our weekend in the immersion of the Psalms in prayer, as we think about meeting with God and letting the Psalms transform us, it is also something that the Psalms do through us, and into the world around us. 
This morning I want to show an illustration in the history of God's people where the Psalms were employed in worship to win one of the greatest showdown battles in Israel's history, and I dare say probably in the world's history. And it's important for us to remember that these battles were very real. They were fought on real soil with real men and in specific places at a specific time. But they are also didactic to teach us the deeper spiritual truth of the nature of the real battle, the spiritual battle that we are presently in. The narratives of the Old Testament are further explained by the didactic scriptures of the New Testament in light of the promises of the fulfillment in the fulfillment of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, his incarnation, his whole life lived, his death on the cross, his resurrection, really is the interpretive key for the scriptures for us, even in that day. And with that main interpretive key element, we can understand more of this narrative in light of what we face today, and we can understand more of what Jesus told us And the scriptures give us about the enemy behind the embodiment that happened on the battlefield that day. The scriptures tell us, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now the revelational battles, as I might call them, uh, in the scheme of redemptive history, as we find Jehoshaphat and others would wage, They are intended to reveal truth about God and His people and His plan. They were embodiments of the spiritual battles that they contained. And hopefully by now you understand what I'm talking about. There's always embodiment to spirit and truth and principle as it's revealed to us. So these were revelational battles, if I can call them that. It is further explained that the essence of the very things were spiritual in terms of their battle. They may be embodied, and the things that we face are spiritual battles, but they may have embodiments to them. They, They may be embodied in people or persecutors. They could be embodied in entities or corporations like Planned Parenthood or even nations or religions. These are embodiments of the spiritual things that we actually war against. But the reality is of the battle is spiritual, and we're going to have to make sure that we do work in battle the way that God has equipped us to, and there we will see great and mighty things. So we come to a place in Israel's history that not only the Psalms were used to transform them, they were used for summoning up the fighting power of God in their behalf. And many battles in life, have been won in worship. We need to understand how vital corporate worship is to your spiritual lives and to your sanctification, to your marriage, to your parenting, to your children, to your relationships, 
to every problem that you may have. We need to understand how vital this time is in word and sacrament, in prayer and singing. May the battle of Jeruel be an encouragement and an exhortation for us to be focused on the worship and the glory of Almighty God above all else. And when we seek the kingdom of God first and His righteousness in this way, all the other issues of life will find its proper perspective and be taken care of. That's a hard lesson for us to get completely. And that's why we remind ourselves of it constantly with the Psalms. The kings of Israel, along with their rule and reign, were inseparably, inseparably linked to the corporate worship of God's people. The power and the influence of Israel among the nations was inseparably linked to the worship of their true God. We saw this even in the Exodus when God overthrew Pharaoh and delivered them out so that they could go and worship, which they did. We have this powerful illustration given to us at the battle, or at least what I've called the Battle of Jeruel. Jehoshaphat was a powerful and potent king, as we just read in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Beginning in our narrative that we will begin to explore, we now see Jehoshaphat's challenge. Verse 1 and 2, it happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, and they are in Hazazon Tamar, which is En Gedi. Troops began amassing and alliances were beginning to be be formed to do something about this fearful Israel that God has blessed the king. Moab, Ammon, Seir, a mass of large troops began to rise up against Jehoshaphat and begin to muster their strength. And this must have been some mass accumulation against Judah. It brought fear into the heart of the most powerful king whom the nations at that time feared. And they must have shown up in full force in great number in order to overpower Judah. Verses 3 and 4 tells us Jehoshaphat fears his circumstances. But it shows he seeks the Lord. Verses 3. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaim a fast throughout all of Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord. And from the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Jehoshaphat calls a prayer meeting. He calls a a time when they are to come aside and not only just prayer, but to fast and to show the intensity of getting a hold of the the horns of the altar. And he calls a prayer meeting. And the people respond. The people responded. A good leader always leads the followers to the very source of true strength. And that was not in their swords, and it wasn't in their horses or their chariots. But after a heart of King David, he knew well David's Psalm 20. And in verse 6 through 12, we see his prayer. And he prays, and he says, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? 
And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations in your hand? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever? And they dwell in it and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence, for your name is in this temple, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now here are the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and did not destroy them. And here they are, rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. That is a tremendous prayer. You know what he's doing? He's calling God to remember his covenant. God, remember. Remember what you've done, and he rehearses it all, so he puts it in perspective, showing that he's got this thing right. And when you are praying prayers according to truth, you can expect God to answer Verses 6 through 9, he reminds God of his covenant, what he's promised. He's, he's calling God to the attention of remembering now the things of the past. Bring it now into our present experience so that you will have your name vindicated. Verse 12, they confess their weakness. It's so important to recognize that we, by flesh, cannot overcome the battles that are before us. The enemy is too strong for us. The the cities are fortified. The enemies are big. They are battle-hardened in this way. That's exactly the picture of the embodiment that we have when God told his children to go in and inherit the land, and that's what they saw, and at first they did not go in because of their unbelief. So a whole generation for 40 years, God just let them wander in the wilderness and he took their children. Isn't that something? So many times us parents are trying to be so protective of our children, but it's the children that will go in and inherit it because of our unbelief. So they confess their weakness. Lord, we can't do anything here. They knew they were outnumbered. They knew they didn't stand a chance on a human level. So they looked, for, looked to God. Verse 13, everyone was gathered, including the wives, the mothers, and the little children. And that's what it says. Now all of Judah, with their little ones and their wives and their children, stood before the Lord. This was no heads of household meeting. This was not a heads of household or a men's prayer meeting time. This was a prayer meeting the likes of which that generation has never known. And when there is something like that amassing outside your city walls, I guarantee you, you will fast and pray and throw yourself on the mercy of God if truly He is your God. They didn't have nursery. They didn't do children's church. They didn't usher the little ones away from this intense prayer meeting, nor did they shelter their children from the impending danger or the news of it. No. The children were listening 
They were watching. They could sense the fear of mom and dad, and they could hear the whispers going on. And, and, and no, they, they just, kids, let me, let me say something here. You know what's going on, don't you? We are outnumbered. This could split our family apart. This, this could tear Israel and our nation apart. They will not spare me, your mother. They will not spare you. Now, even if you tried to hide that, you weren't going to hide that tomorrow if they invaded the camp. Their lives were at stake too. They saw the fear of their moms and dads. We rehearse back to the time when the, the, the great Passover came. Do you not think that moms and dads were coaching their children? Now go to bed now. We, we've got the blood. On, just like God says, you're okay. You're safe. Now, that's not going to be true for all of them, but for you. And perhaps a dad, I can probably even relate to this, being a little restless on that night of the Passover, just kind of staying up and going in and checking, checking, looking over at my wife because she's a firstborn, just making sure they're still breathing. But I applied the blood. I'm trusting God, but this is uncharted waters here. And so here they are at this prayer meeting time with their little ones and their wives, and I bet you they're fervent prayers. Prayers were fervent in that time. Now, I do think it is critical in our child raising and our parenting that we include the children in the very battles and the dangers that we face so that their prayers can go up and they can see God act too. This is part of the story and narrative that they're part in. <clears throat> Obviously, discretion and wisdom is needed in these matters. But a complete sheltering and protection from these things is not healthy. Do not protect them from the saving hand of God or letting them see him work in a mighty way. So then in verse 14, the prophet Jehazel spoke. I want you to notice his pedigree. Second Chronicles 20, verse 14. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the son of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he says, listen, all of you, Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you, King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid or dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. We've heard this before. It's exactly what God told his people when he said, go into the land. But, but there's giants in the land. I will be with you. But, 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 I'm going to take care of this. But, 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 land is beautiful, we admit, but trust me. And finally, God just had enough of it, right? See, when God gives us the opportunity to respond in faith, and he says, hey, you go, get prepared, go up to the battle line, and then stand still and watch the salvation of God. Now, you be prepared for whatever I'm going to lead you to do, but you go in faith. I'm not telling you everything right now. You just go, and you trust me. And that's what their marching commands were. 
It's interesting to note here, the one who brought the news to the king, he was Jehaziel, or Jehaziel. His pedigree is mentioned here, I think, for a notable reason for us to link him right back to the Levites and one of the very three family of Levites that was responsible for the singing in the house of Yahweh. It was one of those three Levite families that David appointed to be singers. And he says, do not be afraid. This battle is not yours, but God's. You will not need to fight this battle. We would only learn that. So many times problems come into our life, whether it be relationships, marriages, children, uh, whatever the problem is. And the first reaction that we have is to handle it in the flesh. That's the first reaction. We need to be so immersed in the Word of God and let the Psalms begin to form us that the first reaction we do is fall to our knees. We walk by faith, not by sight. But that takes some reformulation. Now notice Jehoshaphat and the people's response. Verse 18. Now Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and the children of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord the God of Israel, with voices loud and high. Jehoshaphat's response was to worship, which was a worship that was really led and stimulated by faith. They believed the word of God. They believed this prophecy that came. They believed this, and so they immediately responded to it, and immediately they bowed before God, gave thanks, began to sing, began to pray, and began to give thanks. It just... The people's response was worship. Their prayer meeting turned into a loud praise service. And then Jehoshaphat in verse 20, you see a call to faith here. So they rose early in the morning, they went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will prosper. Boy, would to God we'd have a king like that. Always calling us back to the sovereign and the king of kings. Always reminding us of the word of God, and therefore to trust the word of God, to point us to place our faith in him, and rally the nation up. And the battle begins. Verse 21, and when they had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness. And as they went out before the army, they were saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. The most reoccurring psalm thing in all of scriptures is that phrase right there. We see it at the coming of the ark into the temple. We see it at the adornment of the dedication of the temple. We hear these words opening up Psalm 106. We hear the very phrase opening up Psalm 107. We hear these words opening up Psalm 118, which is a tremendous psalm about the resurrection of Jesus Christ in the Lord's day. And we hear this reoccurring refrain in Psalm 136. 
Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. And you can almost hear this rising up and this loud praise going out from the people as a result of their prayer meeting and God meeting with them and the the word of God being expressed. And they fall and they pray and they rise up and they go and they begin to sing and praise at the leadership of those Levites that were assigned and dedicated to do that. And God responds to this tremendous worship. Verse 22, now when they had began to sing and pray, praise, when, there's a time element there, they began to sing and praise. The Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come out against Judah, and they were defeated. For the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly destroy kill and destroy them. And when they had made an end to the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. So when Judah came to the place overlooking the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude, and there were their dead bodies fallen on the earth. No one had escaped. And when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away their spoil, they found among them the abundance of valuables on their dead bodies and precious jewelry, which they had stripped off for themselves, more than they could carry away. And they were three days gathering the spoil because there was so much. And on the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Barakah, for there they had blessed the Lord. Therefore, the name of that place is called the valley of Barakah until this day. Then they returned, every man of Judah, to Jerusalem with Jehoshaphat in front of them to go back to Jerusalem with joy. For the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. So they came to Jerusalem with stringed instruments and harps and trumpets to the house of the Lord. And the fear of God was on all the kingdoms of those countries which they, which, when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel." Then the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, and God gave him rest all around. Isn't that a tremendous passage? They worshipped God in singing and praise. And as they did God, when they did, while they did, in the time in which they, corresponding to this very praise, God was battling and defeating their enemy almost to the place where they look over and they finally and they were surprised to see the enemy had annihilated themselves if you would only believe that about your spiritual life about the battles that we face in the church about the sins that you battle in your own heart and about those things that you struggle with in your marriage and relationships and friendships and and all of the sanctifying aspects of your holiness But too often we have a false strength. But true strength for our spiritual victories is only found as we rely upon the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, you're going to go through battles. In fact, this was orchestrated. You can see the narrative. You can see the story of how there was not just, perhaps Jehoshaphat could have been uh, just settled a bit in all of the strength and glory of the riches, and he just enjoyed his personal peace and affluence, and things were just going well for him. But God brought this tension into the narrative and 
to do so in a place that was very deliberate, not only for Jehoshaphat, but for the entire nation of Israel, to bring Israel into a higher glory, a higher praise, a higher transformation in their life. Now you have a narrative of a life that's being lived out in a time that God knows, and He's orchestrated everything about your life. He knows the end from the beginning has always been prayed, already been prayed. He has decreed it. There's going to be tensions that come into your life that disturb your personal peace and affluence. That is not your objective in this life. It's the glory of God. And He's going to bring these things into your life in different aspects, in different ways, and perhaps the times when you are not seeing them. Just like Jehoshaphat, perhaps he was resting a bit because all the nations feared him. He wouldn't expect this, but then all of a sudden. But he does what all of us should do. Fall on our knees. Pray. Rely on God's strength. Remind Him of His covenant. Remind Him of His promises. And so reminding Him of His promises, we, we afresh and anew in our own spirit claim them and believe them. Would to God we'd be more faithful and responsive and reactive in that kind of way. And when we are, and when we do, and when we learn to grow this way, we're going to see God work in our lives and life of this church like we've never seen before. I think we already have seen him doing these kinds of things. But he may bring us to new heights and there will always be new challenges and new struggles. And, and the first thing we need to do is fall on our knees, ask God to remember his covenant, come into the fresh approbation of that and acquiring through faith those promises, standing upon it, governing our lives, listening for what he wants us to do and be faithful to obe- be obedient to his word. This is a beautiful example. I will say at the very heart of every bit of that activity is going to be your time at corporate worship. Even more so than your private worship. You may disagree with that, but I would continue to challenge you that this time that we spend together on the Lord's Day morning is the most important time in your spiritual life, journey, growth, sanctification, and victory. The kings of Israel, when they worshipped and led God's people to worship Him, and when we worship God, God is at work defeating our enemies. Now, I don't know about you, but if I had a choice to be singing Jerusalem the Golden, or to be getting my hands bloody on the battlefield fearing if someone's going to knock my head off, I think that's a pretty easy choice. You know, God's that good, right? But we somehow struggle against these things because of our idolatry and the things that we have been formed with and the liturgies of the world, the kinds of idols that we have made for ourselves when we begin to trust in the other things, we become like them, absolutely impotent. Is that not where we began Friday night? But when we seek first the kingdom of God and we trust Him for these things, then 
That's all brought into perspective. And God wants His people to be successful. You have to understand that God wants His people to be successful. That's why He saved you out of darkness into light. That's why He wants your marriages to thrive. and That's why He wants your children to be fruitful. Because it is a godly seed for which your marriage is intended to be in the first place. And all of this, God is on our side. But we've got to believe that. Do not be like those in the desert that God left for 40 years and the ones who always would complain against God. Says, Did he bring us out here to cause us to die or just leave us? Do not be like that, people. Worship is a potent weapon against the enemies of God. And when we are in tune with that, God tremendously does a lot of damage to our enemies that plague us in ways that we will not explain. It was Jehoshaphat's greatest victory, and he didn't even lift a sword. It took him three days to gather up the spoil. Not only was he thinking they were going to be defeated, but in three days, through worship and prayer, the entire kingdom became much more wealthy, so much so they couldn't even gather it all up. Isn't it interesting how not only did they bring their swords up against Jehoshaphat, they loaded themselves down with jewels in the process. God had all that planned out. He just wants to show you that He will bless you beyond what your imagination can come up with if you just follow His ways. And it shows really the mass that was gathered against them. In three days, all the nation of Israel could not gather up all. They just had to leave some of it out there. It also shows that when the people sought the kingdom first, that God brought treasures right to their doorstep. Now think about that for a moment, if you will. When we're not seeking the kingdom first in our lives because we're seeking something else in its place, we're just like Psalm 115, and our idolatry, which is impotent, makes us just like our idolatry, which is impotent and unpowerful and unable to stand against the enemies. But when we maintain a priority for the kingdom in our lives, God brings other things into our lives of which we might not have even realized, not only to give us victories, but also to bless us in the process and to bring us into a higher awareness of His glory and to praise Him all the more. God is not supportive in giving you idols to worship. He will not bless you when you have other loyalties and other desires and other confidences. And that's why you have to get rid of them daily. Daily deny yourself of these things. Israel rejoiced and praised the Lord with great joy. This battle illustrates the true strength and how to engage in the real battle that we are in. Taking dominion springs from true worship of God. Worship that is immersed in the Psalms. And even while we worship, He is slaying our enemies. Right now, He's at work. And while we pray, He's doing the stuff that we can't. And every act of worship yields some victory in your life that otherwise would not be realized. And this is why we need to be in a daily diet of the Psalms. This is why we need to gather together very faithfully and determinedly to come together to worship God. 
When God's people are focused on the kingdom and when they rely on the true strength and they cry out to the Yahweh of armies and they worship together in unity, you can't imagine what He can do and what He will do. In that one battle with three nations gathered against Judah, God slayed a huge number that night. We don't really know the number, but due to the spoil, it probably was the greatest slaughter Israel had ever experienced. The greatest biblical battle where the Scripture records fatalities of the enemy was another battle that Israel never lifted a sword, and that was Sennacherib and the Assyrians, where there was 185,000 soldiers that died when the angel of the Lord went through the camp that night. The largest difficult battles that Israel has ever faced, they did not have to uh, unshield a sword. The thing they thought they were going to have to do. See, worship of God is the most potent weapon against your enemies. I know folks have some serious spiritual problems. I've counseled a lot of people in my time since I've been a pastor. But I've counseled a lot of people in my time as a pastor who generally are weak in their corporate worship and attendance of the corporate prayer time. And there's a connection there. We have folks who neglect prayer time and have real needs. And they need the victory. Some folks will miss church for the slightest little bit of headache. Corporate worship is the greatest means of grace available to help you in all of your problems. But it's about the glory of God. It's even bigger than our problems. We don't ever want to use... Corporate worship is a a magical rabbit's foot that we think we can manipulate the favor of God. If we come and we do this for God, he will do this for us. That's, That's a sin of Israel that God despised. It's a contrite and humble spirit that God will reward. It is that which he blesses in worship. But don't limit your imagination with what great things God can do when you seek him with all of his heart and you trust him with all of your life and you rely upon his strength. And you keep the kingdom, and that is the priority of your life. Don't don't limit your imagination of what God can and will do. But as it is written, I have not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. That's a promise. Prayerful worship is central to all we do. I had mentioned when we started off on this weekend, on Friday evening, as I kicked it off around 5 o'clock, I'm going to have a special challenge for some of you. It's a challenge I'll challenge all of you with. It's a challenge that I myself will face. I would like to challenge you with an application. It is not incumbent upon you. It is only if you want to voluntarily join me as we think about the reformation of our prayer life and the prayer life of this church and the reformation of our own spiritual lives. I have been wanting for some time and been thinking with growing conviction that to have a morning and evening dedicated prayer time is not only fitting, but part of the rhythms of Scripture after the morning and evening sacrifice. A psalm to open the day and a psalm to close the day after the rhythm and the pattern of the Scriptures. To pray through the Psalms. And so I have this desire, but I know I'm going to need God's help and grace through His people, accountability, encouragement. And so I 
would like to invite you, if you are interested in this, no commitment time here, this is not a bowing of your heads and raising of your hands. It's a challenge. I do believe there's a biblical warrant here, and I want to immerse myself more in the life of the Psalms and to have them become much more a part of my prayer time and prayer life and devotion and praise. Some monastic uh, orders pray through the Psalms, all 150 of them, in a single day, and they do that day after day after day. The lectionary of the Church of England will take you through all 150 in a month. If you do five psalms a day, you'll get finished in a month. There's an immersion of a whole world here that God is putting us into the psalms. What I'm asking is let's start slow. Let's start small. Let's take one psalm in the morning, one psalm at night. Let's pray these things when we wake up and when we go to bed. If you're interested in this, not even with any commitment at this level, I would like for you to contact me with email. I'm going to get together with a group in my house, and we're going to discuss this. I'd like to keep the group small, so if it gets too large, we, maybe we're going to have several groups. This group will go on probably for months until it's, it, we can continue to encourage one another, talk about the Psalms, pray the Psalms, maybe come back together occasionally and pray through some Psalms. Uh, But it's really an accountability and encouragement to get this rhythm that we've been talking about with the God time. To get the time of the time of the God space, of the intersection with our space here, aligned with, with God's framework of what He is doing. To get the matter also of God's matter and our matter coming together through the Psalms and with the Psalms. It's another thought that I've been desiring to do and one that I want to actually take it off the back burner and put it more on the front burner and make sure we have at least some tunes for all 150 psalms and spend time spending uh, a deliberate way through a year singing all 150 psalms. And this just needs to become a part of our um, life. Terry Johnson said of Independent Presbyterian Church, who has a lot of heart for this and the modern Reformation, he says, there will not be a modern Reformation of the church until there is a return to the singing of psalms. More about that this afternoon in our psalm sing, but one of the things that we need to embrace, we need to love, this is God's liturgy. This is the way God does battle. This is what he's called us to. These are our battle songs. These are our prayers. These are our praise. This is the worship of Almighty God. So let me encourage you, regardless if you take this challenge and want to join me in this or not, let me at least encourage you to spend time in the Psalms daily. Even if it's just taking one psalm, just don't go to bed. Don't have the day go by you without having one psalm that has been a part of your life that day. Because they will transform you. But not only will they transform you in your spiritual walk through you, they will actually transform the environment and the community around us with the gospel of the powerful Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we thank you for the worship that you've called us into. We thank you for the power that is before your throne, that it radiates throughout all of this earth. And we are privileged to be willing agents of your providence. You've called us to pray according to your will in order to move mountains in the place that you want them moved. You've called us to pray in faith whatever we ask according to your will, that you will give. And yet we have found that in the course of time that, that you have our cups running over, 
with grace. And you often have many surprises in store for which we have not thought or even imagined, and they always surpass our best expectations. Lord, you are our God. We live in fearful times and we're often afraid in our own little narrative, but we do pray that the Psalms would bring us to the victory of even that which you have promised and that we may lay hold on them in the times of our deepest and darkest trials, that they would satisfy our souls with joy, that even in pain we can redound to your praise. We pray that you'd work in our hearts and our spirit even around the table as we come together, knowing that on the deepest time of the trial of our Lord Jesus Christ, on the eve in which he was betrayed, he left that upper room with his disciples after he had sung a psalm with them. And so, Lord, we pray that you would transform us to be more like him. Work this with your spirit in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.